Hey, welcome back to the Danger and, Play, Danger and Play podcast. This is the podcast number two, and today we're going to be talking about personal finance for men. We have a lot of great questions um, submitted by readers. Thank you for those. Today I have my friend Jay in the studio, and we're going to get his take on personal finance for men as well as mine. Some of our ideas are the same. Some are different. I've known Jay for a long time, and I've watched him go from a guy who just had a regular wage slave job to a guy who hit a million dollars net worth by the time he was 30 to a guy who lost a bunch of that in some unusual circumstances to a guy who's back on his feet now. So he can talk about his personal life as much as he wants to or as little as he wants to, but he is somebody who has been there and done that. So what he says has credibility. With that, I'm going to turn the mic over to him. Hey, welcome back, uh, everybody. Mike, thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, danger in play, folks. Um, as Mike said, I've kind of run the gamut. <clears throat> I've been uh, at the top of the mountain at 30, 31 years old with like a net worth of over $2 million um, down to where I was when I was about 40, which was a basically flat broke, uh, moved out of a 4,000 square foot house um, and downsized into a 420 foot uh, studio apartment in Sherman Oaks, California. So. I definitely can say to Mike and to uh, the listening audience that I have uh, been at the top of the mountain and at the lowest point of the ocean. Yep, that's how life is, man. <laughs> one minute you're up, one minute you're down. And, you know, maybe one time we'll, we'll talk about how he had that run up and run down because that in itself is a good story, but it's a long story. So right now we'll take a few questions, and then if you guys like it and you have more questions, maybe we'll do a sequel to this. Maybe we'll talk about how, how I made my money. And maybe we'll talk about how he made and then lost it and then made and then lost it and then how he's making it again. So let's take a question, which I think is a pretty good one. It's a little bit broad. It's a little bit philosophical, but we'll, we'll see how we can handle it. And that is, can you tell me about the mindset you need to be self-employed? I know in my situation it's hard to walk away from the wages of a professional job. What do you think? So that's a great question. Um, so for, from my perspective, um, you know, I was a wage slave when I graduated, not graduated from college, uh, but about two years after graduating college, I became a wage slave. And I was actually fully, full on a wage slave until I was 41 years old. Um, so about 21, to almost, almost 20 years uh, as being a wage slave. It's not easy to walk away from a professional job, you know, especially if you have a four year degree or even an MBA or, you know, even a paraprofessional beyond that. Um, you know, where you have the comfortability of somebody paying you a six figure income, you know, plus a bonus, a yearly bonus, plus obviously the benefits that it entails. But I can tell you that once you have the mindset to walk away uh, from being a W2 wage slave job, your life completely changes. And, you know, Mike's written about on the blog before, <clears throat> you know, the most important thing about being successful in life is having freedom. The freedom to do this, the freedom to not wake up early in the morning, the freedom to not have to get into some dumbass commute, you know, uh, back and forth in the morning at night because you have to work as a wage slave. I mean, once you have freedom, you have everything. I, I don't really care. It's, it doesn't really come down to how much money you make. I mean, obviously, you, you want to have the, the finer things in life and you do need, you know, a certain level of money to, to have those things. But Beyond that, you know, and, and a lot of you guys are younger, some of the younger listeners in your 20s, you know, you think I'm crazy when you say, oh, I want to get paid, you know, I want to be a baller or blah, blah, blah. Trust me, I've been a baller. I've been that guy in the club with the $10,000 table, you know, in the corner with all the girls coming up, all the bottle rats, blah, blah, blah. I've been that guy. And I can tell you that you will get to a phase at a point in your life where it doesn't matter. The money doesn't matter because as Mike said, money comes and goes. What matters is freedom. And when you have ultimate freedom, the ability to not be a W-2 wage slave, I mean, you would never, once you make it 
and have freedom outside of being a wage slave, you'll never go back. Yeah, um, I agree with what he said. And um, for me, too, it's a mindset of I want to write things off, you know, like I have a, I have a fucking cool car, you know. Well, that's a tax deduction. Um, if I drive somewhere, that's a 52 um, cent per mile deduction. Uh, I, I write off part of my rent. If you're self-employed, when you buy a new computer, that's a write-off. When you're, you know, your cell phone can be a write-off. So if you're a wage slave, you still have to have a car, and you're not going to get any tax advantages for having that car. So what he said is true, and also the tax advantages to me are what really sell the self-employed lifestyle. Yeah, th just to add to that, the really crazy thing that you don't realize about being um – self-employed and, and, and not working as a wage slave anymore is that when you do do your taxes, let's say you have a very successful year and, and I've been blessed and fortunate that the last two years I've been, I've done very well um, working in the sales capacity that I work in. And it's funny because when you meet with your accountant, um, when you're doing well enough that you have to have, you know, obviously a professional accountant's advice and stuff like that. It's so amazing to see how much, as Mike just said, you can actually write off. I mean, you know, you can gross X and, 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 and basically pay taxes like you made 80 grand, okay? I mean, and when I say X, I'm talking, you know, a seven-figure income, you know, or seven-figure gross. So it's like, it's crazy to understand that what's, I guess, the easiest for you wage slaves right now, let's say you make 200 grand, right? Let's say you're a 29-year-old guy and you're a VP for your company and you're making 200 grand and that includes your salary and your bonus. Well, guess what? Motherfucking IRS is taking probably $100,000, if not more. If you live in New York City, you live in LA, you live in Miami, you live in a big coastal population center, you're getting fucked. Not only are you getting fucked by the, the feds, you're getting fucked by the state, right? So that money that you don't see because they take it out of every fucking check, guess what, buddy? You got that money when you're not a W-2 wage slave. That money is literally coming to you and you have to be responsible enough to pay taxes on it put some aside and do what you want with it but as mike said i mean you can deduct so much stuff that but you know by the time you have realized what you can and can't deduct you sit there and you scratch your head and say holy fuck how could i have been a wage slave this long not knowing these things right Pe people want to talk about how much they want to make but it isn't how much you make it's how much you keep right and if you make a lot of money well great you have a high salary but how much of that are you actually keeping you can work less hard and actually have more money at the end of the day once it all washes out because, because after you have your deductions and everything else, that you, you work not as hard and you make the same or more money. Once you figure out how to do it, of course. Yeah, the, the, the only thing to add to that is, is like, don't think that once you're not a wage slave that, you know, because you're you know, making more money, have more deductions, blah, 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 that you're not working as hard because the disconnect is you will be working harder. It's just you have, again, the freedom to work when you want to work, okay? There's no grind of waking up at five o'clock in the morning alarm goes off you know, hit snooze any of that bullshit that's gone from your life but you're still going to be working just as hard if not harder but again it comes down to the freedom of when to choose to work yeah yeah and, and that's that's a good point like i don't it's not work if you like what you're doing it's not work if you work for yourself like imagine you go into the office and they make you work another five hours you're not getting paid more for those five hours but if you work for yourself every hour you work Every dollar you make the company, well, you are the company. So you're not thinking, oh, God, I, I got to go in and I got to take my weekend off. Instead, you're thinking, well, fuck, dude, how can I get more money into my pocket? So you're going to make yourself rich instead of making someone else rich. And when you're doing that, you actually feel inspired. You feel motivated. You, you want to work. So the, the work is no longer a four-letter word. Exactly. Let's see another question. Okay, question number two is going to be, I'm not sure we're going to do 10 specific things, but we'll list a few. Assume an income of 40 to 80K. What are 10 specific things that a 25-year-old man can do to maximize 
his net worth at 35? Well, that's a that's a that's a that's a deep question. Um, you know, maybe I'll tackle three or four things, and Michael add three or four things. I mean, you know, ten things. I don't know. We don't really have time, and we do this impromptu. But um, at 25, if you're making 80k um, as a wage slave, you should definitely, definitely, definitely. Again, depending on your job, you should definitely. And again, depending on where you live, you should, you should, you should, you know, have a rent factor, or you know, hopefully, you're, you, whether you own or rent doesn't really matter. But your 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 housing factor should probably be no more than a fourth to a fifth of your actual take home income. And if you can do that, you know, you're gonna the money that you're gonna save from what you don't pay in taxes is gonna be used for other life necessities, you know, which we can get into later and other stuff like that. Number two. You should definitely have a slush fund. You know, I'm assuming that this is, we're making recommendations for a single person who's not married, doesn't have kids, even doesn't have a girlfriend or a significant other or whatever. But you should definitely be saving money, at least in my opinion, somewhere in the neighborhood, you know, as much as you can put away, but at least 400 to $500 a week and literally putting it in your slush fund. I mean, maybe you can't afford that much. Maybe you can only do 200, 250, but you want to have a slush fund. Um, number three, obviously you have to be, you have to be healthy. You have to be putting money, you know, into some form of fitness. Um, you know, that's not really essential to your question of like, you know, what four things I can do to have maximized my net worth at 35. But if, if you're not healthy by the time you're 35, who fucking cares about your net worth? So you definitely should be going to a gym. You should be paying for a good gym membership. Some other stuff you want to add? Yeah. Um, great stuff there. I would add that the general principle, you need to keep costs down and the way you keep costs down are you make your own meals. You don't go out, you don't eat, you don't eat for lunch. And you learn to eat the same foods every day. Right. That way you can make food in bulk. So even me, I you know, I can eat whatever I want to eat, but I've been eating chili. And what I do is I take dried lentils and I actually soak them overnight because you can buy a 10-pound bag of lentils at Costco for like fuck all money. And I soak them overnight and I put them in a crock pot with like a really lean roast. And I'm, I'll have maybe three days worth of food that doesn't cost me hardly anything. So you shouldn't be eating out. You can't afford to eat out. Even even if you can pay for it, doesn't mean you can afford it. And that's one way to keep your costs low. Yeah, what he said about housing is perfect. Um, have a roommate. Yeah. Um, or live in a studio. Yep. Live beneath your. Live needs. in a house for four people. Yeah, yeah. I, I would totally live live if you can live at home and you get along with your parents. Live at home. There's no shame in, in living at home at 25. Totally. I would I would totally do it if I got along well with my parents and I had that opportunity. And. Um, you're still going to meet girls. They don't care. By the time you bring them home to your place, it isn't going to be a deal breaker. Um, if you have a 401k match through your company, then you have to do that because that's essentially free money. You should also st um, stash away, like he said, as much as you can, at least 10%, 20% if you can. And uh, another thing that he, he would agree with is when you're 25, you want to think, how am I going to work for myself at 35? What's my hustle going to be? Is it going to be a blog? Is it, is it going to be a personal training business? Is it going to be a consulting business? I don't know what it is, but you need to start putting aside money for that. Right. You need to have money set aside so that you can end up start working for yourself. That way, when you're 35, you're not going in and clocking in at a job for somebody else. You're actually working for yourself. Listen, the most, and, and for sure, everything Mike says is 100% is, is on point. Um, you can't leverage yourself, okay? At 25, it's easy to get a credit card or two or a fucking Best Buy card or any of that bullshit. Because listen, man, I lived all those. You know, I, I went through, you know, when I was when I was 24, 25, I had about a $130,000 a year job and I had a girlfriend that was technically my fiance making another 75 grand as a teacher. So we were no kids living in Southern California, making $225,000 a year. We had it easy. This is in the early to mid 90s. And 
we started leveraging ourselves. Not not crazy, but you know, a little bit too much. And I can definitely say now looking back that if I was 25 and the money that I was using to leverage myself, which I never got out of control, I wish I would have put that into cash. So back to what Mike says is you want to have a cash fund. When you can save and literally within a year have 25 or 30 grand, you know, again, at 25 or 30 years old on an $80,000 year salary in cash, you know, you're doing right. You know that what you're doing, you're living within your means. You're not outside your means. Right. And, and actually that point relates to the first point of the self-employed mindset. If you've saved a bunch of cash, well, then you're not walking away from a job. You're, you're, you have all this money saved away that right. you can live off of. That is how they keep you as a slave. Let's say you make 200 grand and you live paycheck to paycheck. Right. Well, you'd, you'd have been better off if you'd have made 50 grand and actually saved your money. Exactly. So if you want to work for yourself, you start saving money when you're 25. And then when you're 35 or 40 or 45, you have that money stashed away. You have that security and then you can go on to something else. The only thing we didn't talk about, you know, Mike mentioned 401k, you know, the stock market, you know, we, we, we could go, that could be an entire blog of itself. But, you know, as Mike says, the banks want people to be in the markets. The equity markets run the world or the maybe the, the world is run by the equity markets. I don't know. But the, the reality is, is that it's a tough game to try to play the markets. As Mike will say, we, him and I have talked about this for almost probably almost 20 years, is like, if you're gonna be smart in the equity markets, you have to dollar cost average and you have to be an index fund. You can be in a couple index funds, you know, maybe they're no load, no load mutual fund index funds or whatever and you don't pay any fees. But at the end of the day, you're not going to, to beat the market. You're not gonna trick buck the market. You know, I'll give you an example, like I'm in these, um, uh, 3D printing stocks. And I've been in 3D printing stocks for the last two years. You know, before the 3D printing stocks, it was fucking Apple and there was Yahoo and there was Google and all the other tech stocks back in the late 90s and early 2000s. I made a fortune. Mike knows my, I had a, an investment of $5,700 that turned into 130 grand over a two year period. Okay. And that was just my stock picking. And I was no genius. I just, you know, picked companies that I followed and that I liked and I figured it had a future. Well, now it's with 3D printing. And I I own a stock called Anya, Onvo, Onvo Systems. And they literally, I've made like 80 grand in like a year on that stock from like a $4,000 investment. <clears throat> I haven't even sold it because I just kind of like throw away money to me. But the reality is, is that you're not going to pick stocks long term and win. Okay, you will have ups and you will have serious downs. And most people have way more downs than they have ups. So, you know, point is, is like, don't think that you're going to get ahead in the stock market. You know, it's good to have a stock market strategy, a dollar cost averaging strategy, but don't go pick a bunch of individual stocks and put two grand in each one and, and close your eyes because you're going to lose money. Right, right. The, 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 way, the way he did it, he didn't explicitly spell it out, but that's what he does and that's what I do and what people should do is the bulk of your money is in index funds, say 80%, and then you have 20% that you... That's house Throw money. Away. Yeah, that's house money. Maybe, maybe you, maybe you win big. Maybe you don't. But you have to be disciplined and say, okay, it's just like if you go to Vegas and exactly. you're, and you're going to gamble. You know, you you have a set set amount of money and and playing the stock market is gambling. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And you have a set amount of money, and if you spend it, you don't go tap into your real money. You say, right. this is what I'm going to spend. So. It might vary based on an individual, maybe 80-20. 80% goes into index funds, just um, index market funds. And then 20% of your money, that's where you can go pretend that you're fucking Gordon Gecko and you're right. going to be a day trader and, Jim and do Craver. whatever you want to do. Right. Yeah, and you watch your Jim Craver and that's fine. And, and that way, maybe that 20% blows up. If, if you lose it, oh well, you go back to zero. But if it blows up big, it blows up big. So good for you. The truth is, as Jim Cramer always says, and Jim Cramer's a fucking moron. I mean, he's that guy's caused more people to lose money than probably any guy in history. But, um, you know, he's still got a show. He's entertaining. He's obviously more of an entertainer than he is a stock picker. But, you know, 
pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. It's absolutely his greatest statement. It's totally true. Um, even if you have a big, if you have a big winner in the stock market on a name out of your 20% portfolio and you have a big winner, sell the motherfucker. Okay. You can dollar cost average it if you really want, but fuck that. If you double or triple your money, sell it and put it back into your dollar cost average fund because you're not going to get it back thinking that you're going to, Oh, it's going to keep giving. It's going to be a home run. I'm going to get a hundred times. It's not going to happen. And then the only other thing I would say is don't be that dumbass in his 20% account that does margin shit. Okay, don't fuck with that. The only thing I would say that you could get into, and this is requires discipline and, and intelligence and obviously some form of training, is options. There's a lot of money to be made in options. You have to know what you're doing, but you definitely can make money in options when you're in your 20% fund. But that's maybe another blog for another day. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 a lot of good points. If you guys have any more questions, post a comment and we'll do a sequel. And we'll move on to the next question, which is, how much should we expect to spend on food to see for a quality diet that we can get big off of. And I would, Jay and I'm sure going to say the same thing. It's not that expensive. No, it's, it's, uh, it's actually nothing. I mean, if you're 25 years old, you're still growing physically. You're not growing height wise, but neurologically your body's growing, your muscles are growing. Um, you're really a sponge depending on your genetics. Um, but really simple, you know, basic food stuffs, you know, don't, I wouldn't go for milk or lactate or any of that shit. I, I used to drink lactate, but you know, Mike and I both drink almond milk now, but you want to have almond milk. You want to have a really good, um, you know, multi-spectrum protein powder, which isn't going to cost you much. You can go to Costco and for 40 bucks, get yourself a month and a half to two months supply from like combat, muscle combat or muscle form or whatever they're called, combat powder. You want to have some essential fatty acids. You know, you can go on Amazon and order Udu's oil or medium chain triglyceride oil. And easily one of those bottles is like 30 bucks and it'll last you two months if you take four tablespoons a day. Okay. And then... Maybe, you know, wherever you go, you know, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, any grocery store and buy sweet potatoes, buy brown rice, buy packs of cans of tuna, you know, buy as many as you can and then buy like turkey meatballs or turkey burgers or something like that and egg whites. You can, you know, there, you go online, there's a million companies that sell egg whites now and, you know, buy the bulk in bulk. So you have those staple foods. Honestly, you could easily survive off $200 to $250 a month easily with all that stuff. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're you're smart and you shop at Costco. Let's buy things in bulk. Um, you can buy huge bags of lentils. You can buy um, huge bags of if you eat almonds. You buy you know mm -hmm. two and a half pound jars of almonds. You buy eggs, thirty six eggs at yep. a time. You buy you buy everything in bulk. Almond milk's there too. Yeah, almond almond milk is in bulk. So everything you could possibly have is there in bulk. And then you shop intelligently. The way the way people spend a lot of money on food is they just sort of wake up and then they go eat. And then you go have a salad for 11 bucks. Right. Well, I can eat a whole day on 11 bucks and I can eat like a king on 11 bucks. Now that doesn't mean never go out to lunch, never go out to dinner, nobody's saying that. But the question is, do you need to spend that on it? No, you could, you could probably eat um, two, two to five bucks a day and you could get plenty of protein, plenty of nutrients and you would kill it in the gym. This, this goes back to uh, the first question that we were answering. You know, what can you do at 25 that builds a, a foundation at 35 financially? Well, I guess what? You become, you make Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening a ritual of three hours of meal prep, okay? You prepare your meals, as Mike was talking about, in Tupperware. You get, you put them all in a refrigerator and you fucking eat those during the week. I mean, you're going to save so much money, you know, not going out to lunch with the guys. Even on weekends, you're going to have ready instant food that you prepare. I mean, it's as simple as like Mike says, lentils and some form of meat, you know? Um, I like to have brown rice and turkey meatballs. You know, if, you, if you're if you're carb sensitive and you don't want as many carbs or whatever, just have green beans or asparagus or broccoli and, and, and some form of protein. But just pre pre 
prepare your meals on Sunday. Make that a Sunday night lifestyle habit, and I guarantee you the worth in weight, the worth in weight in gold over time by the time you're 35. Oh my God. Yeah, because that's gonna be a core foundational life principle that you're gonna now adhere to. And you know, over 10, 12 years, you're gonna always have food ready and you're not gonna be eating like shit. And it's gonna help you in so many other ways. You're gonna obviously be healthy, you're gonna probably be leaner, in shape, and constantly have access to food. And that you can't beat that, man. Yeah, yep. So we'll do our next question, which is this is this is interesting. What kind of money should you expect to make to live a high quality lifestyle that is impressive or passable to women? And I would say that I know the guy who posted it, and I like him a lot, and we've met, and he's a cool guy, but I would say the question is flawed. You can be a fucking broke dirtbag, and if you're in good shape, and you have a nice body, and you have a little bit of swag, they'll they'll be spending money on you. You can you dominate need, a woman. Yeah, you don't need to make shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, like, that's, that's kind of a weird, flawed question, but if I was going to answer it, I honestly think it really depends on where you live, right? You live in New York City, there's no fucking way you can live a good life unless you're making 200 grand. I don't give a shit how you know, uh, thrifty you are. I mean, if you're making 200 grand and you're 25 years old living with five people in a house, maybe, but let's say you're a 30 year old guy and you, you know, you're answering the question, you want to have a place to bring your wife, your, your girlfriend back. Um, I mean, you can't do that in a house with five other guys. Right. But, um, you got to make at least a hundred thousand dollars. If I was going to just do a gross number in North America, if you were making a hundred grand and you were a saver, you could live an amazing life and you could live anywhere. Now, if you're living in New York city or you're living in Los Angeles or San Francisco, you got to make probably double that. And that's just, that's just, again, just all things being equal, a gross number. How do you have a good life saving all the things that we're already talking about applying? You can easily live an amazing life at 200 grand in those cities and a hundred grand anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it is really where you live. You can live in Las Vegas and you can make 50 grand and there's no state income Be a tax. Prince. And you live a very, very, you can rent a cool, you can rent a cool apartment in like Green Valley for 800 bucks, yep. which is nice, with a hot tub, stare at the stars at night, party with all the like encore yep. day club Have girls. Have a $600 car payment. Yeah, yeah. And drive and a BMW a, 3 yeah, Series. Yeah, exactly. And live a very nice life off of 50 grand. So if you want to impress women, by making money, I would say if you have marketable skills because they're in short supply in Vegas, move your ass to Vegas and you will live a lot better life than you're living now in every way imaginable. Yeah, Mike and I talk about it all the time. It's so weird. And I lived in Vegas for almost three years. Um, that's another story for another day. But like Vegas has this seedy reputation, you know, the strip, because most people that go to Vegas, they don't really know any life about outside of the strip, you know, and the cr nonsense they see on the clubs and on the strip itself and in the... The, the strip clubs and everywhere else, all the seediness of Vegas. But honest to God, the city of Las Vegas, like north or south, and, and, and Mike and I are more, much more in favor of the northern part, which is the Summerlin, the northwestern part of Vegas. It's really, they call it the southwest, but on a map, it's the northwest. It's an amazing place. There may not be any better place in North America because you have the whole entire culture of Vegas. You have all the restaurants, you have all the nightlife, you have all the theaters, all the shows, all the shit that you would get in LA or New York City at one fucking tenth the cost. That's not an exaggeration. You literally can live in a 5,000 square foot house in Las Vegas in Summerlin and pay $2,800 a month rent. So again, think about that with five guys and literally in 18 minutes or less, drive down to the strip and be in the middle of the action. Yep, and, and another myth about Vegas, we're, we're this is a digression, but I don't know, I, I love Vegas. And another thing is people will say, well, I'm not cool enough to live in Vegas, but actually if you're like a normal guy, 
you will be able to date out of your league if you live in Vegas because the the so-called cool guys with the faux hawks and the tattoos are fucking douches. Diamond dozen. Yeah, and the and the girls will, uh, will run through them, and they're actually looking for a quality, decent, normal guy. So you will actually be able to date those girls that you thought were previously unattainable. Yeah, I mean, like, it's funny because Vegas only has about a mil five, you know, in the whole city. But, I mean, God, as Mike said, I mean, you know, it's a city run by entertainment and the, and the, and the quote-unquote industry. So almost all the girls in Vegas are hot. I mean, it's just as simple as that. You know, they may be dumber than a fucking box of rocks, but they're hot. So if you want, you know, to date and, and bang, you know, hot ass, I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine you have a better chance than what he just said than me in there. Yeah, and it's all off the strip, the, the, the so-called locals. Yep. It isn't like you go to Ve- – if you live in Vegas, you don't actually go to Vegas and try to meet girls on the strip. You meet the people who work at the bars, the people that everybody spends all that money on yep. to have come bring them uh, bottles of vodka. Well, th- those people have a life too, and they actually don't want to hang out with party douchebags. They actually want like a fucking decent, normal guy who isn't going to be a total degenerate scumbag and doesn't have a drug problem and doesn't have a gambling problem. So again, think about it. Well said. Next question is, uh, are roommates more trouble than the savings? Eh, depends on the roommate. Right. Yeah. I, I lived with Jay. It was great. We lived with another guy, and it was an awesome time. It's awesome when you can just hit up your roommate and say, let's go hit the gym. Right. It's awesome when you share values. It's awesome when you can talk to somebody who inspires you in ways that you aren't as good at. So, like, me and Jay, we work because, you know, he, he's got um, a font of training knowledge, and He's very dedicated and disciplined, and that inspires me to be more disciplined. And what he likes about me is that I'm very like philosophical and introspective, and I kind of have a big picture thinking, and I know how to get out of a lot of the cognitive traps a lot of us fall into. So if you live with somebody like that who creates this synergy, it's fucking awesome. If you live with an idiot, well, then you're just bringing your own average down. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. I mean... What Mike says, you know, it's not easy. I mean, you know, depending on your financial situation, I mean, I think the most basic thing, though, of a roommate situation is make sure you have at least some space, right? You have a bedroom that you can close the fucking door, right? You're going to bring a chick back. You want a banger. You got to have something, right? You can't be living on a fucking couch in a living room in somebody's house. Um, but yeah, I mean, the more common, the more commonality that you have between your roommate or roommates, I mean, the easier it's going to be on you. Um, I just think that. There has to be a place, like every man has to have his man cave at some point in time. So as long as you have a room that you can close a door, you're good. Yep. Um, okay, last two questions, but they kind of relate to the same subject. When is it too late or is it a bad decision to make a career change? And we'll couple that with this question. How do you start over when you're broke in your 30s? Okay, I can answer these questions well. A, it's never fucking too e- too late to have a career change. Repeat that 100 times. Never. I know people that are 60, 58, 60 years old who have wet, left wage slave jobs and within three years, whatever it is they're doing, making double the money and working essentially half the time. Now, again, you work different hours. So when I say half the time, you're not in the, you know, the, the Monday through Friday grind anymore, but you're, you're still working. But you, you can absolutely positively change your life, change your, change your message, change, change your medium, change everything about it, your paradigm, your thought process, anything at any time. It's never, ever too late. And then what was the other question about? You're broke and you're Oh, okay. Way. So, I mean, let me tell you guys this, man. I was at the top of the mountain when I was 31, 32 years old. I went through divorce. I wrote a huge fucking check to my first ex-wife who now lives happily ever after on the eastern part of the United States and you know, more props to her. I'm glad she's happy. Uh, I met another chick that I fell head over heels in love with. I had a good life. I still had a lot of money saved off. I, I lived a life for the next seven or eight years and that woman put me in jail 
and basically ground me to a nub where I was not penniless, but pretty close to it. You know, I lost a huge house. I had a badass, you know, $100,000 car. I mean, I pretty much had it all and lost it all at that point in time in my life. And now three and a half years later, um, you know, grossed over a million dollars last year um, and have an amazing life again with an, with an amazing partner. And uh, I, you know, it's, I, the point is, is that there, there, it's never, it's never, ever, ever too late to leave a dead end job and to start over and to make money. You, you can do it. You just have to have vision. You have to have obviously values and you have to be, you know, steadfast in your resolve to be successful. I mean, that's what it is. It's basically just waking up no matter how shitty your life is or what's come you've come across and just putting one, one step forward further the next day. Yeah, one one of the best things I ever heard was a guy said, "Hey, you know, I'm thinking about going to college, but I'm 30, and you know, I don't know, is it too late to go to college?" And the other guy said, "Well, look at it this way: in four in four years from now, you're going to be 34. <laughs> you can either be 34 with a college degree, or you can be 34 without one, right? So, oh, I'm I'm 40. Do I change careers? Well, in 10 years, you're going to be 50, buddy. So." You can either be 50 with a new career or you can be 50 in the same shitty career that you hate and you're probably going to be downsized and outsourced anyway, you know. And the whole idea that it's too late to change careers, guys, I, I hate to break the news to you, but you're going to be forced to change careers. Right. People, your fucking boss doesn't like you. They want to outsource your jobs. The minute that some bean counter can eliminate your position, right. he will. So the whole idea that, that it's a choice to change careers, it, it might be a, a false choice. It isn't. You, you might have to do it anyway. Listen, Mike can't be more right. If you're a sales guy, okay, and I'm sure a lot of you guys out there are sales guys. You know, you're hunters. You're doing a good job. You're making 100 grand, 150 grand, whatever. You're trying to climb the ladder. Let me fucking tell you something right now. You are nothing more than an employee ID number, okay? You are nothing more than that. Your name, your rank. Your status in that company, you're just, you're nothing, bro. As Mike said, a fucking bean counter can come in tomorrow and say, I'll get three monkeys to do what you do and I'll pay them a third each of what I'm paying you. And then you're done. So, you know, your book of business, your relationships, let me tell you something. That doesn't mean shit, okay? Because at one time in my life, I was that guy. I was you and I believe that it did. And I learned very, very hard lessons, man. Chasing a title as a wage slave there's nothing that good, that good that comes out of that, you know? Because all you end up doing is the more money you make, the more money they fucking take. Uncle Sam continues to come after you. You know, the state comes after you. You have to, honestly, you literally have to become an entrepreneur. You should, your goal every day, if you're 40 or 30 and you are contemplating a career change, you're, you're not changing a career to get another job to work for the man. You're contemplating how the fuck am I gonna become an entrepreneur and sustain myself at a level commensurate or better, hopefully better than what you're doing right now. That should be your only goal. Honestly, there shouldn't be anything else. And I, I'm saying that as a guy who did change at 41 and is now almost 43 and will never look back. Yeah, yeah. I just remember a funny story with uh, involving Jay when I was younger and naive. And Jay was telling me how he was um, in a beef with the, the CFO. And I was like, well, why? And he said, well, because I made 400 last year and the CF only made 375, so now it's making my life hell. <laughs> and I said, well, why would he care? You get paid on commission. Right. So if you're making 400K, that means you're bringing 4 million into the company. And of course, I was a fucking naive child at the time, you know, but it, it was like, well, that's illogical. How could he be, right. how could he be mad? And, and Jay literally fucking got blown out of his job for making too much money. Now, some people, especially the really fucking 
autistic people who think that business is rational and companies are rational and say, well, why would, why would you ever fire a high-performing salesperson? Ego. Yeah, they'll, they'll fucking blow you out. So you can even think, man, I made 400 grand. I brought in 4 million to the company. Right. I can justify my existence. Nope. Doesn't matter. Some motherfucker gets jealous and you're gone, dude. You're done. Yeah, it, it's, he, Mike's absolutely right. And believe me, man, that's how corporations are run. It's a fucking good old boy network. It doesn't matter, you know, where it's at, you know, whether it's women or men. I mean, they, they, sound, they surround themselves with their cronies. And they all, you know, their their systems and, and, and processes and procedures last three to four years until somebody else comes in and then everybody changes again. It's like a fucking circle jerk. You know, whoever's the EVP or whoever's the CFO is going to be gone in three or four years. I mean, it's just as simple as that. You know, they may take another job or whatever, or they may get pushed out or they may just get bought out. But dude, when you're a wage slave, you are nothing more than an employee ID number. Do not forget that. All right, and, and that is a good note to end on. So this is a little bit shorter than the last one because we covered a lot of material. If you want a sequel on personal finance, then maybe we will do one. Go ahead and post your questions in the comments. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Mike.